You are listening to an episode of Dope with Lime, a production of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont University. Each episode of Dope with Lime explores the life, work, and legacy of Lillian E. Smith. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and make sure to follow us on Twitter at LES underscore center. Welcome. My name is Matthew Touch, and I am the director of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont University. Today, I am speaking with Piedmont University students, Julia DeMillo and Montana Thomas. Julia and Montana were both in the course for the recent world premiere of How Am I to Be Heard, an oratorio based on the life and work of Lillian E. Smith. Julia is a music performance major, and Montana is an early childhood education major. Today, we'll speak with them about taking part in the oratorio, what they learned about Lillian Smith, and more. So thank you for joining me today. Hi, thank you. Hello, <laughs> thank you. It's, it's great to have y'all. So y'all took part in this world premiere oratorio here at Piedmont called How Am I to Be Heard. Can you just talk about what that was and what it is? Well, it was a six-part performance that basically told the life of Lillian and talked about some of the hardships that she went through in overcoming those. And it was very interesting to see how a lot of, like, the struggles she went through with her writing, the struggles she went through to just be heard, be told through music. What is an oratorio? So an oratorio is a stage production kind of like an opera, except it's usually based on a religious subject matter. I assume since it's more of a historical um, story, that's why they chose to call our production an oratorio, because it had the staged elements and it was all told through music. There was very little speaking, but yeah, it really told just this historical story. Yeah, and there were, you know, multiple characters here. There was the narrator. He said there wasn't that much speaking, but he also sang Lillian Smith. There was a young Lillian Smith who was a dancer, Mm -hmm. which I think was a great addition considering how much she loved dance and how much dance was involved at the camp with the girls. And there were, of course, her parents and then Reverend Dunwoody, who was a character in Strange Fruit, but kind of represented this large all-encompassing kind of image of Christianity and her views on Christianity, right, or the views he was pushing back against. So before y'all did How Am I to Be Heard, you knew nothing about Lillian Smith, correct? And y'all are both students here. Yeah, pretty much nothing. I had heard a little bit here and there, just like kind of walking around talking to people, but not to any type of extent of what I would say I know now. (laughs) What do you mean a little bit here and there walking around talking to people? Well, I'll say like even there was I think there was one time I was walking through a commons and you were actually in the commons talking about the center and I was like oh I don't really know too much about it and you were kind of filling me in but I was also probably rushing off somewhere but <laughs> it was probably lunch no, yeah <laughs> like I have a cup with her face on it but like I don't I didn't know much other than she went to Piedmont and we owned her I thought it was like her house like I didn't really know what was going on I just knew like I got a free cup up. So. <laughs> so you got one of the free coffee mugs. Yes, yeah. I also have one. <laughs> those are great. We need to make more of those. But but you mentioned, you know, you don't know, you didn't know that we owned her house. I mean, we, we have the property where she lived, right? Mm-hmm. And where she worked. And y'all been up there to see it. Yes. So kind of what was, well, let's back up a little bit before we get there. So what did you kind of learn about Lillian through this process and what kind of stood out to you? I think it was really cool to learn about a female role model in kind of like working through the civil rights movement and stuff like that because you hear a lot about like Martin Luther King Jr. and 
different people like that, but I never heard about like some of the writing, some of the impact that Lillian had on similar concepts. Right. One of the things is we hear about the men. We mm-hmm. hear about Martin Luther King Jr. We yeah. hear about Malcolm X. We hear yeah. about John Lewis, right? Um, Andrew Young, A. Philip Randolph. We hear about the men, but we don't hear about Lillian Smith or yeah. Polly Murray or Fannie Lou Hamer. We hear about Ella Baker and Diane Nash, um, but just the expanding of our knowledge of the civil rights movement, right? Yeah. It goes beyond Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., and I Have a Dream. So what about you, Montana? What did you kind of take away? I thought it was really interesting. I, I feel like I re- learned that I relate a lot with Lillian. Like, as a queer woman, learning about someone who was not necessarily as open with who she was, but was still a revolutionary at the time, and kind of saying, like, well, I'm, like, I'm ostracized in these ways, and I want to use the privilege that I do have and that I am fortunate with to help my friends in other communities who are um, treated poorly. And I thought that was really interesting because... We've had so much in our world recently where, like, that applies. And that's kind of like, you know, you do a lot of thinking, like, well, I'm treated poorly for these reasons. How could I help other people? And she kind of was like, kind of like, okay, this is how you do it. And I thought that was really interesting because I could take that and be like, okay, I can apply these things that she was able to do in my life. Well, you mentioned identifying as a queer woman and then um, connecting with her in that way. But you were also talking to me before this about, you know, changing your major from music performance and piano to early childhood, which makes me think of her, too, because, like I said, she went to Peabody Conservatory to be a pianist. And she Mm -hmm. was like, I can't be a concert pianist. I'm not that good. Right. But then look at the way she kind of shifted. She went to China, you know, with her sister and brother-in-law and worked at at the Methodist school. Right. And taught piano. But then she came back into the camp and she worked in education. I mean, she actually taught at schoolhouses within Northeast Georgia too, but that camp was education. And she took what she did all over and kind of boiled it down into that education, that forming of young minds, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you're doing too. Yeah, that's really cool. (laughs) So you went up to the camp, you went up to where she lived and worked, and we just kind of spent a little bit of time up there. How did that kind of experience um, shape how you view the oratorio to actually being in the space where she was? Not just here on campus, because she was only here 1915 through 1916, one year, right? Yeah. I think one of my favorite moments when we went to the camp was looking at the library with all the books. And yeah, you all spent a lot of time in there. Yeah, <laughs> and it was so it was so cool to me because you could tell this was a very knowledgeable woman very well read and like in different areas too it's not just like one one topic was something that she was really passionate about there were books on psychology there were books on music there were books on history and just a plethora of things there were like almost like medical-ish books in there too and i was like well that's interesting (laughs) but it was it was just so interesting like such a well-studied person and I feel like that, that can make for a really like well-rounded person who makes a big impact. So what did that... There's kind of two questions I have off of that. <laughs> Is there any book you remember that kind of stood out to you? Oh, gosh. Either one of you. I mean, there were a lot of books about psychology that I was surprised by. And I kind of think about how like the civil rights music movement and psychology kind of go hand in hand. And even though, like, looking through some of those books, they were pretty dated, and I'm like, whoa, okay, maybe I don't necessarily agree with what's in there. It was still kind of sparking these thoughts that I think definitely went into how she approached situations. Well, it's kind of, within regards to that, like, 
whoa, kind of taken aback about what may be in there, it's kind of a time capsule, right? Yeah. And to a certain extent, when I think when I go into that library, is like, what books survive, what books we still read, because there's some in there that we still read, there's some in there that we don't, right? And kind of what that does, which makes you think about this moment, what books are we still going to read, what books are we not, especially in Mm -hmm. regards to history or psychology or things of that nature, too. But the other thing that you mentioned, Julia, which kind of stood out to me, was you said that seeing all those books, you know, showed you that she was a well-rounded reader. And I'm thinking about y'all as students. And how much do you read? What do you do? And when I say read, I don't necessarily mean just read a book. I mean, there's a lot of different forms of reading and are gaining a knowledge. But, you know, how does the knowledge of being well-rounded, and I'll just use that as an example, you know, affect you as a student? Or what advice would you give to students to tell them you need to be more well-rounded? I think it's... Um reading more and like doing more research and knowing more about like the context of your own life can be really important in the relationships you build with people the way that you perform in school and kind of like deciding what you want to do with your life in the future when you move away from Piedmont and go somewhere else and I think that it's, it's kind of a journey through discovering yourself by doing all this research and becoming this well-rounded person. And like I was saying, um, that, that's how I kind of saw Lillian, doing all this research, finding herself, finding her voice and what she wanted to say. And I feel like that's, as young adults, that's something that we should strive to do for ourselves. How does reading or being well-rounded help you discover yourself? That just stood out to me with what you said. <laughs> I think... I've read a lot of things where I, I really like reading other people's opinions. Like, if I don't agree with something, I want to see why uh, someone thinks the way they do. And so I think a lot of the books that I've read have really expanded, um, not even just books, like, even just, like, essays and, like, opinions on Twitter. Like, they really tell me, like, okay, I can kind of see where people are coming from. I was really fortunate to, like, have a lot of really uh, good books that I had to read in high school. And we read um, Native Son. And reading that really kind of expanded like my thought process because it was like, okay, I'm seeing all these hardships and I'm reading them really from the perspective of someone, even though it's a fictional story, reading it from the perspective of someone who has gone through this. And I really think that like reading things, even if it's like you don't necessarily agree with them at the time, they can make you uh, more empathetic towards the people around you and like the people that you're debating about well what that is basically if you're thinking about composition studies is your counter argument mm-hmm. right i mean one of the things i tell students when we're doing composition and writing essays is you always have to have a counter argument yeah because what that does is it makes you look at the other side and you may not agree with everything you may not agree with anything but it shows you you're actually knowledgeable about what that side is saying to be able to debate it instead of just throwing something out on Twitter or something really glib and being like, oh, I don't agree, right? Yeah. You know, whatever. It's actually being engaged with the discussion. And that actually, I think, helps you become more aware of who you are and your positions and where you stand, right? Mm-hmm. So what are some other things possibly, you know, from the camp that you kind of took away? Because we heard from Julia, but like, what was the experience like for you, uh, Montana? Um, it was really interesting because I felt like I'm getting this really intimate experience looking into someone like I could go like read a book about Lillian and learn a lot, but being able to actually be there, like see the things that she felt were important to keep or how like, like what she's collected, had collected over the years, like seeing that stuff really made her feel more real to me. Like, you know, we get this oratorio and I'm like, okay, here's this woman and like we've learned some about her, but 
now I've actually like seen what we're singing about and I've been able to like really connect with it like I think after that trip like at first I was like oh I'm excited to like sing this like you know it's, we don't get to sing an oratoria every day but like I it made it more like wow like this is really something like I'm actually able to like connect better to the material and I think even if we weren't singing the oratorio getting to go somewhere like that is just like really cool because you know it's like we get so wrapped up in like modern life and like what we do now but being able to see like okay there are these thoughts and there were still these things present back then and these arguments that like is shown there because there was a lot but like I don't think like you think about history and you're like oh like that they didn't think about like race the same way that we did or gender or anything but then being able to see like real books and real things in her house that like but you see that the they did yeah it was really eye-opening so i was like okay maybe we're not like maybe i don't know as much as i thought i did and see what what somebody said initially too with me i think this is right when i got here was that if you look at lillian smith she didn't have the term identity politics or anything in regards to discussing transgender identity or anything like that mm-hmm. But she's talking about some of those things in some ways through the issue of race, but then also through existential kind of discussions and books like The Journey. So you do see that these discussions have been there. And I think that's one of the things that we need to realize, too, is that all these discussions that we're having today are nothing new. They've been going on for decades and even centuries. It's just why do we not know about them? So Lillian Smith is one of those, right? You know, Martin Luther King, his speeches we can't boil it down to I have a dream. We can't even boil it down to that in line and I have a dream. There's more there historically that we're still battling today within that speech and other things. So what are some things that you kind of want people to take away from Lillian Smith? What would you want your fellow students at Piedmont to know about her? I think first and foremost, I want them to understand the significance she had in addition to what they are learning in their history classes. It's, I feel like it's a very meaningful addition to have, to like learning about that time period, learning about the people who were a part of the movements and knowing that she was a part of it too. And how much she was involved in it that yeah. you don't cover, right? Yeah, exactly. And the relationship she had with some of those people that we do learn about. Mm-hmm. Like when we went to the camp and we saw that she had a book that was signed like for her from... From Martin Luther King. Yeah. Like, that was so... Like, holding that in my hands and knowing that he wrote that to her. And she has such a close relationship to, like, what we have here at the school. And that... Mind-blown in that moment. And and in that inscription, he's expressing gratitude for what she's done. Yeah. And saying how much that she'll impact the youth to come, right? Mm -hmm. That's basically what the inscription says. And... Yeah, the more I learn about her kind of involvement with the movement, and when I say movement, I'm going back further than 54 with Brown v. Board, but even with the movement that we think about in the 60s, it's mind-blowing how many spaces she was inhabiting. I mean, she was, I keep saying it again and again, the, the one thing that always blows my mind is that learning that she gave the keynote speech at the first kind of SNCC weekend conference in October 1960, three days before the sit-ins in October 1960, where King was arrested. Yeah. So even knowing that, she wasn't marching, and she talks about why she couldn't march. I mean, she was like, I can't get arrested, Yeah. for one thing, and part was for cancer and probably other things, too, I mean, stuff not to go into, but it's phenomenal how much she was involved with those things. Like, I found her honorary degree from Clark Atlanta, you know, I think the yeah. mid-late 1950s. Yeah. 
that speaks volumes for her kind of role and her inspiration. And King, the first time he wrote her, said, I've read you for years. It's a pleasure to finally be able to meet you in 56. My, my mind was even being blown when you were making all these connections for us when you came and talked to the choir before we really even got too far into the oratorio so we would have some context mm-hmm. you were we would all like say words when we think about like civil rights and stuff and you were telling us all of the ways that she was connected and i think that that made an impact on the whole choir but that made me really intrigued from the start was to see those connections yeah we i came in and asked y'all to write down you know on the board when you think of the civil rights movement what do you think of yeah and I think probably almost most of the things on there, there may have been like one or two that she was not involved with, yeah. at least some kind, somehow tangentially, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's the same thing. The more I learned about Polly Murray, too, the same thing with her. And of course, her and Lil were were close, and Lillian mentored her, you know, some with um, some of her works and published her. So there's just so much we don't know. So now it's over to you, Montana. What do you, what do you want students here at Piedmont specifically, and people everywhere, to kind of know about Lillian? I think just that, you know, sometimes we think of historical figures as not being that much like us, but the fact that I can relate to her, and I think a lot of other people can, kind of shows us that, you know, she made this great impact, and we can kind of do that too. She was able to do all of this and use what she had to her advantage, and so we can kind of be like, hey, that can be me too, and like, I I might just be studying here at Piedmont to be a teacher, but like, I, how can I affect, like make an impact here and to like wherever I go. Well, you talk about how we can kind of connect with the people we learn about. Even some, when we think about somebody like Martin Luther King Jr., we think about somebody who's larger than life. Mm-hmm. And Lillian's larger than life. I mean, really, if you look at it, but finding those ways we can connect with individuals, I think is important. Mm-hmm. You know, these were people. They did extraordinary things. And we can do extraordinary things, too. Maybe not on a national or global scale, but within the people we interact with, right? So one of the other things that y'all did before the oratorio, it was a couple of weeks ago, and I went and saw it the Friday night. And Rose Gladney, who's been a Lillian Smith scholar for God knows how long, she's published books on Lillian Smith and articles. And the Lillian Smith Reader, she published with Lisa Hodgins, right? And y'all have read pieces from that. She published the Lillian Smith's letters in the 1980s, maybe the 1990s. But she was in town, and I met up with her, and we actually went to the Tallulah Falls. It's a coffee shop now, but the railroad station. It's a converted railroad station into the into a coffee shop. And this would have been the railroad station where Lillian would have stopped at on her way up to the camp or, you know, down to Atlanta whenever the train was running. So I kind of went, it was halfway between Clayton and Demra, so I kind of wanted to take Rose there, just meet there, easy place to meet, but also because... It's kind of a site still connected with Lillian a little bit. And then lo and behold, I go in and y'all are sitting there with some other, you know, students from Piedmont who were in the oratorio and y'all just sat down and Rose and us just sat down and talked to y'all, right? Yeah. yeah. So can y'all kind of talk about what you kind of got from talking with Rose about Lillian? Because she told y'all stuff, you know, that I wouldn't be able to tell y'all. I think it was interesting because she had, at first I was like, I don't know who this person is. <laughs> like... <laughs> And the more she spoke, I was like, wow, she really had this, like, very kind of an in- insider take on everything that we had learned about and we've been singing about because she's met Paula and she's read their letters. And it's it seemed like she was able to talk to us about, like, okay, well, this these parts of the oratorio felt like Lillian and these parts didn't. And the fact that she can even, like, be, like, in her head that way or be like, oh, I can totally see, like, Lillian doing this or saying this... That was just 
amazing because it was like, okay, this person didn't know Lillian personally, I don't think, but she just, she was so passionate about her and knew so much. It was just, I don't know, I... I really like. I really enjoyed it. So, so what about that? One thing you said there, I think, is really interesting. You said that she didn't know Lillian personally, and no, she didn't. She knew Paula. She knew Esther and Frank and some of the family. But I kind of feel like she does know Lillian personally, yeah. and I kind of feel like, to a certain extent, I know Lillian personally. So, I mean, what do you think of that? I don't really know the question there, but it's just kind of a thought I've been having that you do know somebody through their writing by connecting with them through their research. And, of course, what's on Lillian's grave is, you know, death can kill a man that is all it can do um, because of memory, right? You know, you'll still remember the person. And she's said a quote one time about being an artist. Um, death of the artist is when people stop reading her. So as we read her, she communicates with us through, you know, her writing. So we do know her, Yeah, I would say. No, it still feels like, to me, like, she feels very much alive. Like, the, the weeks that we've spent getting to know her through this oratorio and through talking about her, yeah, she feels very much alive to me, if that <laughs> makes sense. And talking to Rose, that, that made it feel even more alive to me. Yeah. Just made it, made it feel that much more real and that much more personal to hear Rose's personal accounts and her personal takes on what we were singing about. It just made it feel that much more real and that much more personal. And she connected with Lillian in a lot of the same ways I think you did, Montana. Mm-hmm. You know, through through her identity, through her being born and raised in the South, actually near where I was born and raised. Mm-hmm. So those kind of connections. But is there anything else y'all kind of took away from that conversation with her? I thought it was um, pretty admirable to see. She, um, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, always reading and learning more and the importance of that and shaping you as a person. And she has this absolute love and passion for learning more and for reading more and learning more about Lillian through what she does. And I just think that speaks volumes to us being inspired to do similar things, whether it's through learning about someone like Lillian or just doing research and learning things on our own for what we're passionate about. Well, I mean, what that, what that tells you is there's no stop to learning. Exactly. I mean, one of the, again, one of the things I go back to that Lillian said, she wrote a letter to an English teacher. He wrote her asking, basically, you know, what should I tell my students about writing? And she wrote him like this four or five page letter. Dr. Seuss wrote like two paragraph response. <laughs> but at the end, she says, you know, I think when you stop learning, it's time to curl up and die. Is essentially what she says, right? So you're continually learning. And you mentioned that Rose is continuing learning. Like, I'll send her things, and she'll be like, you know, I'm glad that you sent me that. I'm, I'm learning from it. And, of course, she's older than, than all of us, right? Mm-hmm. So she's continuing to do that. And I think it's a lifelong process. Because the other thing that Lillian talks about in that letter is, I didn't learn anything apart from reading and arithmetic maybe in, in P12 in college. You know, I think back to my college, what did I learn? I think college is there for us to learn and to get us ready for a vocation, but it's also there to kind of foster a lifelong of learning in us, right? Mm-hmm. So what is the what is kind of concluding? What is your favorite thing? That may not be the best word, but what is your favorite thing that you've learned about Lillian through this process or anybody that you've learned about, Paula or anybody that you've kind of encountered through doing the oratorio? I think for me it is really just seeing this very brave and passionate queer woman like I I can relate to that and I it's not something that we see a lot in our more talked about history 
And I think to me, it's just been really cool to learn about that and feel so inspired to be like, yeah, this is who I am. This is okay. And here's someone who was doing it years before me. So yeah, it's just really awesome to see that. I think for me, um, kind of similar to what Montana was saying, but seeing the confidence um, in oneself that Lillian had to go out and write about what she was passionate about, write about it whether people were going to like it or not, and trying to make her voice heard, I think that that is a lasting theme that I need to remember in my own life. (laughs) And being confident in what you're passionate about and being confident enough to speak your mind, even if there are people who aren't going to agree with it. Well said. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dope with Lime. Did you enjoy this episode? Have thoughts? Use the hashtag Dope with Lime on social media or get in touch with us at lescenter at piedmont.edu. You can learn more about Lillian E. Smith and the center by visiting www.piedmont.edu backslash les.